Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin here with uh, Steve Prudian. And today we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to mix it up. We're not going off of the rails. We're staying in Ecclesiastes, but uh, we're going to do it a little bit differently. Before we get going, Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great today. How about you, Dustin? I'm doing very well. All right. So I've got this thing to read. You have the story to tell, Dustin. I have a story to tell. But first you have the riddle. The riddle. The riddle. All right. What's the riddle? The riddle is, is it, it is never the same time. Okay. Is it it ever the same time? Is it ever the same time? Is it ever the same time? Well, let's read the story and then we'll get into the riddle. Okay. All right. Here we go. Once upon a time, there was a boy who was one of many children. He had an older, good-looking brother that everyone liked. He was his father's favorite. As time went on, both grew to become young men. The older brother was proud and lorded it over his younger brother, who was a bit of a mama's boy. He assumed he should be the head of the family because his father was old and ill, but he was young and foolish and did crazy things like young men do. One day, he was in a racing accident and died to everyone's surprise. The younger brother, who had no idea about becoming anyone of responsibility, was called to his father's bedside. His father made him head over all the family, brothers, sisters, and every relative, and handed over all the family holdings with one wish. The son would need to build a very special house that his father had dreamed of. The son did as his dying father wished, After his father had died, this rich young man decided to spend a lot of money doing everything he could. He was seeking the meaning of life in search of happiness. His wealth grew over time. He did many things, many good things, as well as many very bad ones. Time passed, and he, like all of us, grew old. Now he was looking back on his life to reflect on what he had done and learned. He realized nothing is more important than to know God. So he decided to write a small book about what he had learned. His physical condition was poor. He could not see or hear well. He needed help walking and eating and had no desires for pleasure any longer. He knew he was a broken man. He came to one major conclusion about time and the importance of life. There are never two times ever the same. Life has passed and old age has come. There is only one truth of value left. A man needs to be right with God because all men meet the end of human time to meet the spiritual eternal God. At this time, we are judged by God himself, both the good and the bad we have done with our time. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is the entire duty of man, for God will judge us for everything we do, including every hidden thing, good or bad. Only two questions matter. God says, What have you done with my son Jesus? Jesus, the Son of God, asks, What have you done with me? The answer to a good end of time is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved to a good eternal time which never ends. Just like the bad thief on the cross asked Jesus to remember him, all you need to do is ask Jesus to save, forgive, and remember you. Then the clock of time is reset to time in heaven. Very good story. It's a true story. It sounds familiar. It does. 
And who is telling this story? The story is being told by the younger brother, it looks like. Yes, you're right. So the younger brother is Solomon. And he is? He is the son of David, and he is the third king of Israel. Known for? His wisdom. His wisdom. At what price? Well, that's an interesting question. Because the wisdom was a gift. But he didn't necessarily use it in the greatest of ways. Ever hear of the word hindsight? Oh, yes. It's 2020 from what I'm told. It's interesting what you think you know. Mm -hmm. You may have to make some corrections along the way. Yes. In order to know. Yes. And Solomon is one of those as wise and as wealthy as he was. Mm -hmm. He still had a few things to learn to really know. Right. He had to, you know, a lot of people equate wisdom and knowledge, but the reality is that you can have a whole lot of knowledge without being very wise, and you can be very wise without having a whole lot of knowledge. And so Solomon did have to build his knowledge base after the wisdom came. If we have to look at Solomon... Yes. ...in relationship to his father, King David... Yes. ...which was a man after God's own heart... Correct. ...not perfect... Nope. ...but still a man after God's own heart... Yes. David is known for writing what? Uh, David is known for writing many of the Psalms... But Solomon is known for writing what? The Proverbs. What else? Ecclesiastes what and the else? Song of Solomon. That's right. So the son was more prolific in his writing than his father was. Perhaps. Do you know the difference between the things that they wrote? If you have to categorize the difference father to son, what did the father usually write about? feelings, emotions. The character of God. Right. What does Solomon write about? More black and white. The lessons he's learned yep. from about life mm -hmm. that he wants his son to learn without making the same mistakes. Right. Psalms, the Psalms of David tend to be more uh, relational. Poetical. And Well, and poetic, but they tend to be more relational in their, in their relate, you know, and how they relate to God, whereas Proverbs tend to be more behavioral in how we should be relating to God. It's and, interesting. One comes from the heart. Mm -hmm. The other one comes from the head. Maybe not all that interesting when you think about <laughs> man after God owns the heart and the wisest king to rule. So, all right. Um, There's two very important verses, and everything else is sandwiched in between those verses. Correct. Yep. The first part of Ezekiel, okay, 12, 1. What, uh, does, what does it say? Ecclesiastes, I think is what you mean. You said Ezekiel. 
Um, Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Well, I'm just a little ahead of myself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It starts with an E, and we're not quite there yet. So it says, Do not let the excitement of your youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, Life is not pleasant anymore. That's 12.1. What's the most important instruction? The most important instruction is honor God in your youth. Honor God, just honor God. And recognize something. What do you have to recognize? He's your creator. He's your creator, yeah. Okay. All too often, we're born into this world, and we do not give credit where credit is due. Right. Okay? To God himself, who has given us life. Why would he do such a thing? You know... That's the question, isn't it? For a lot of people, that's the question. Why did God create us? Why did he choose to create the universe, all of the planets, all of the sun, the stars, the whole universe, to put people on this little planet? Why did he do it? Well... There's a couple of different schools of thought, and I tend to lean towards a perfect God deserves to be loved and worshipped. And it's not an arrogance thing. It's he's a completely perfect being. And there should be. It's right that there is worshipping of him. So... We were created so that he could love us and we could love him back. That's the simplest answer that I can give right now. It's a it's a little bit more nuanced if we get into it. But so we love and worship God. That is the purpose of our creation. It is. And Genesis says he created us for his own good pleasure. Yes. It's interesting that God has another one of the names of God is interpreted as father. Yes. Father of whom? Father of everybody. To be a father, <laughs> a father has to have children. Correct. And he already had angels. Yes, he did. And they were servants. Yep. But he created human beings to be his children. Right. And children come in two types of classes, boys and girls, sons and daughters made in their father's image. Do you have any children that look more like you than some stranger that you don't know? Yes, for sure. Yes, it's funny how children will take on physical characteristics of their father Mm -hmm. and some of their mother. Yep. But the reality is, is is, is that do your children bear your name? Yes. So therefore, if we are children of God, is some way are we responsible to bear his name? 
Yes, we are. Yes, we are. But how many of us don't know that? Quite a few. And how many of us don't even value that who know that? Uh, quite a few. <laughs> so the question is, what does a good father want of his children? He wants his name to be born well by them. And how do the children do that? By living in a way that honors the Father. First of all, to acknowledge He is their Father. Correct. He is the Creator. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, which is found at the end of Ezekiel, okay, is the fact that the greatest thing we can do is to know his commands, what he expects. Right. But to know them isn't enough, okay? To live by them, to follow them. Right. Okay? That is what it takes to do that. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is in Ecclesiastes yes. 12, mm -hmm. we see the result of what happens when man does not acknowledge God as his creator. Mm -hmm. If you don't acknowledge God, first of all, as your creator, as your father, do you think you're going to pay attention to the commands and the ways of someone you don't acknowledge? No, why would I do that? No, most people don't do that. So, in Ecclesiastes, it is giving you the progression of what will happen over time mm -hmm. to you. And do you know anyone who has stopped aging, has never grown old, who is old? No. No. What's interesting, and it is disheartening, mm -hmm. is to realize that you have limitations in many areas of life would you get old so yeah. what is what becomes your greatest hope well the well the the sunday school answer is jesus becomes our greatest hope but i think what you're getting at is more the you know as we get older and our body starts to deteriorate we start hoping for more of a rejuvenation for for that repair, for that refreshment, for you know the eyesight to return and become crisp and clear, for the spring in our step to come back, and we wish for the for the agility and the body and the health of our youth. You're absolutely right. But you know what happens when you really get older? You start looking beyond this life. Right. And you start looking to the life above. Mm -hmm. If you don't look up, you will surely look down. Right. But the choice is yours. Whether or mm -hmm. not you want to look up to the life that will be, or you want to look down to the life that not only is, but can be. Right. So subsequently, knowing that, and only age brings that on. Mm 
because age helps you see things in a different light. Right. Even though things may be dimmer physically, they become brighter spiritually. Right. Have you ever been in a hospital when a person who really loves the Lord Jesus Christ and believes in his word is failing in their health and they know that their days are limited and they will no longer be alive on the face of this earth as a human is alive. Have you ever been there? Yes. Okay. And what have you noticed? There's a peace. That it, passes? And that passes all, any and all, all understanding. understanding. There's That's just, right. There's just a peace and a calmness. And um, I've also seen the opposite. Yes, you have seen the opposite. But what I've seen... Mm -hmm. are those people who want to be home, mm -hmm. okay? They're eagerly anticipating it. They're not holding on. Right. They're willing to give up the life that they have now for what they know is promised and yet to come. And how fast does it come? It comes quickly. It comes in a blink. Because yep. one minute you're here and the next minute... Yeah, there. Mm -hmm. Now, the person who does not have that assurance, what have you noticed? There's, there's an anxiety level in the room. Um, I'm actually going to take it outside of the patient and the family, even, because the, the staff at the hospital are different. Mm-hmm. The staff, if there is a person of faith that is in the situation, end-of-life situation... They know. They know. They know. Well, and the doctors and the nurses know, too, right? In both situations, the doctors and the nurses know that nothing else can be done for this person, and their physical life is ending. When the person has faith and knows God and trusts God and is looking forward to stepping through the door to their eternal home, the doctors and the nurses don't have a whole lot for anxiety. They're helpful, they're kind, they're courteous, they're loving and caring. They are truly angels in that time. On the other hand, if you have somebody who doesn't know and doesn't truly does not know what awaits them on the other side. The doctors are anxious. The nurses are anxious. They the are, family is anxious. There, there is an increased stress level in the entire situation, and nobody in that situation is prepared, ready, or even willing to let this life go. And so... It does, uh, it certainly shows, it certainly shows in that moment, in that situation, when there's faith involved and you know what the next step is, there is that peace that Paul writes about that passes all understanding, and it's felt by everybody who encounters it, 
And on the other side, there is an anxiety. There is a stress level that is beyond what's necessary. And again, it touches everything. Everything that comes into contact with it gets a little bit more of that stress. So I would say, I would say it comes right down to it. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, the conclusion is fear God and obey his commands. That's everyone's duty. It's interesting that um, I have been, I would say, I've been in a lot of rooms of dying people on both sides. Okay. Some I'm there by accident, some I'm there because I've been invited. Right. Some I have not wanted to be at. Mm-hmm. It's very um, disheartening. It actually makes my soul sink when I have to be in a room with a family whose loved one is dying, nothing they can do. Right. And they're dying along with them. Yes, they are. But the worst death I've ever seen actually frightened me. Really? Yeah, I wasn't expecting to see what I'd seen, what I saw. Okay. I saw a man who um, had been, a majority of his family did not believe in Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. There were some in his family who did, and they were praying for him all his life, and they had witnessed to him, and he had spurned them and churned away anything that was God or Jesus related. But he had heard. Mm -hmm. He knew the truth. Yep. But yet he chose to be in charge of his own life. When this person died, I was in the room. And for some strange reason, even though family members were there, he did a very strange thing. He reached out his hand to me. Hmm. And he wanted me to grab his hand. He could no longer speak. But I knew when he, when, he, when he reached out his hand to me, he didn't reach out to anybody else, no one in his family. thought it was very strange, but I, I knew that I was supposed to hold his hand. So as I was holding his hand, I watched his facial expressions change. Really? Oh, yes. And I wanted, and I wanted in the worst way to let go of his hand. And I wanted to literally run out of the room because his eyes changed on me. Really? And his eyes changed on me to the point, like, if you could describe evil eyes, I was having evil eyes without a blink staring at me. And what I saw in this moment, this took about five minutes between the time he reached for my hand, he took his last breath. And what I saw was total terror. Really? Total terror, almost to the point that it not only paralyzed him, but I had felt the paralyzation 
that he was experiencing within my own hand and arm. Wow. And when he finally took his last breath and he let go of my hand, I was released. But when I was released, I was totally exhausted. And wow. it was right there I knew that a person, if they know Jesus, they die eyes wide open. Mm -hmm. But a person who doesn't notice Jesus, they die with eyes wide open looking at only that which lies ahead. Right. So there's a couple of questions that happens at that moment on that sheet of paper, Dustin, that yep. I think is really important that we talk about. Then the question is, is what is what does God say? God's question is, what have you done with my son Jesus? Why would God ask that question? Out of all the questions that he could ask in the world about your entire life, why does he ask the one question? Well, because none of the rest of it matters. Does it matter how well I've done? No, it, it does, doesn't. Doesn't matter what I've done? Nope. It doesn't matter how wealthy I became? No. Doesn't matter how professional I am? Nope. It matters what you do with Jesus. When you hear the message of Christ, when you hear the gospel message, what do you do with it? Do you take it into your heart or do you cast it aside? There's no halfway. You can't have a you you can't have a foot on each side of this line. Either you take the message into your heart and you allow it to change you or you don't. And how often will you hear this message? Uh, you will hear it. Well, in America we hear it all the time. And maybe there are some places where it's heard less. But there's Every, no excuse. Everybody hears it. There's no excuse. Everybody hears it. And uh, I have I have my own thoughts on the people who don't have an opportunity to hear the gospel in this life. I have my own thoughts on it. I won't bring them here because it's not relevant to the conversation. But everybody hears it. God has a statement. It's a promise. Right. If you seek me. You will find me. Yep. That doesn't mean you understand him. That right. doesn't mean you believe in him. Right. But however, the spirit, the soul that lives in you mm -hmm. will ask you, do you want to know him? Right. Okay. Then you have the opportunity to seek him. If you seek him, then you can know him. Right. And the knowing isn't the important part. The loving is, because even the demons know his name and they shudder. That's right. So, what have you done with my son Jesus? Why is Jesus important? Jesus is important because he is the sacrifice. He is the reason why none of the rest of it matters. Because he lived the way we couldn't live. And he lived a perfection that we can never achieve. And he took on the punishment for all of our sins so that we could live in a right relationship with his father so that we did so that we do have an opportunity for heaven if we choose it 
That's why, that's why Jesus is the important one. He's called the Redeemer. Yes. You know what? Sometimes I think a much like a spent soda can. Okay. But because there is a Redeemer, there's still enough value to salvage. Right. In Jesus, he is our Redeemer. And no matter how much bad we have done or how miserable our lives have been, there is still something of value to be redeemed. And you know what? He will pay the price for the good. He'll pay the price for the bad. He will pay the price for the ugly. We're all worth three cents. (laughs) (laughs) So God says, what have you done with my son, Jesus? Do you love my son? Is really the question that's being answered. Do you love my son? And do you believe who he is? And do you believe who he is? And why he was sent. Yep. And so Jesus asks a different question. It sounds like it's the same question, but I think it's different. At least in in my heart, it hits a little different. It is different. Okay, Jesus asks, what have you done with me? That sounds like the same question, but I think it's different. And the reason I think it's different is God is asking, did you know my son and did you love him? And Jesus is asking, did you share me with somebody else? Did you serve me? Did you serve me? Because I can, I can admit, I watch too much TV. And the reason I bring that up is because if I really like a TV show, if I think it's a really good show, what am I going to do? Watch it again. I'll watch it again. But I'm going to tell you about it. Right? If I know that you like to watch TV, I'm going to say, hey, have you seen this show? It's really neat. And here's a little bit of information about it without giving too much. But if I really enjoy a TV You're an show. endorsement. Right. I am going to share that. I'm mm-hmm. going to endorse it. I'm going to champion it. Have I done that with Jesus? Have you? I have. Is it but, natural or not natural? It it becomes natural. It beca- that's the answer. It becomes natural. <laughs> it becomes natural because it doesn't start out being very natural to talk about Jesus. And what I'll give I noticed something. I've noticed something in that, and I'll get back to that in a second. But it doesn't start out as becoming nat- as being natural, but it becomes natural. Just like we talk about TV, just like we talk about books, movies, uh, video games, food. Oh my gosh, do we talk about food? And especially in the Midwest. I mean, I talk about food, what I'm eating, what I have eaten, where I like to eat, what I like to eat. We talk about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, and that's all pretty natural. But to talk about Jesus has to become natural. And I, and one of the things that I've noticed, and this is what I was just set aside here for a moment. When I started sharing, to even say the name of Jesus felt a little weird. I'll just be honest about that. It felt a little weird. 
I could talk about God. I could talk about the Bible. I could talk about faith, Christianity. I could talk about all that. But to say the word Jesus, the name Jesus, felt a little strange. And as that name has become more, more prevalent in my life, as Jesus has become more center of my life, his name becomes easier to say. And at the same time, that sharing has become much easier. It's very easy for me to say, to talk to somebody about Jesus and to share the gospel with them now than it was five, six, seven years ago even. So I I don't know if that answers your question or There's not. There's a, a line in a song. Okay. And with the line in the song, you have to say, what does that mean? Okay. Here's the line in the song. All right. Here's my cup, Lord. Fill it up, Lord. Yes. What happens with a full cup? Um, a number of things that happens with a full cup. Um, first of all, if you have a full cup and you're bumped into, if you spill a little bit, you spill what's in the cup. So if it's if your cup's full of Jesus... You spill a little Jesus. You leak. You leak a little. But, I mean, why do we have a cup? We have a cup to drink it. And so we take in what's in the cup. What about consume. the surplus? The surplus can be given away, can be shared. And where does the surplus come from? Well, it comes from God. It comes from taking in more of Jesus than you can hold. Which I hope we're all doing. Because that's how we share him. So all of a sudden... What was not your nature mm -hmm. has become your second nature. Yes. And you don't even know, okay, that you've spilled over. Because the don't. rest of that song is with the filling of my soul. Mm -hmm. Do you know, the first thing you have to do is you got to take hold of the cup. You do. You got to take hold of the cup. The second thing you got to do is you got to be in position for that cup to be constantly filled. Mm -hmm. And what is our cup really filled with? Love. And that is the Holy Spirit. Yep. The Holy Spirit fills our cup. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is known as a sweet spirit. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, it's interesting that fruit is sweet usually. Usually. Okay? That the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are filling you will also be as sweet as the fruit that it is. Hmm. And therefore, what you're sharing is you're sharing the sweet fruit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ with those people that are starving all they know is just crumbs. Mm -hmm. They've never tasted the sweetness of Jesus and his spirit. They may have been exposed to the religious dichotomy of Jesus as a person and God as a person. 
but never know the hearts of either one. Right. Right, absolutely. Do you see anything in this narrative that you just read that is worthy of mention? Well, I want to go back to the, your riddle. I want to go back to your riddle at the beginning or your question at the beginning. About time? About time? Yeah, um, is, it, it, is it never the same time? Is, is, it, is it ever never the same time? It could be 12 o'clock today, or 2.11 to be precisely. Yes. Okay. Was there a 2.11 yesterday? Sure there was. Will there be a 2.11 tomorrow? Unless Jesus comes yeah, back before the then. Yeah, that's right it is. You can't. <laughs> but you know what? Even if Jesus Christ comes, there'll still be a 2.11. That's true. Okay? That's very true. But the reality is, is, is this, this 2.11 that's on my watch today... It's 2.12 now, by the way. Okay. Okay? Is this 2.12 that I'm looking at today, okay, was it the same as yesterday's? No, it wasn't. Will it be the same as tomorrow? No. So does that answer the question? I think that answers the question. That there, answers the question. There, However, yes. how do most of us live? Like, it's like just always be a tomorrow. day after day after day yeah, of all the same. The same same yep. time tomorrow. And... Solomon, okay, mm -hmm. throughout Ecclesiastes, makes a statement about time being the same. What is his statement about time being the same? It's another word for time. What does he say? Well, he says it's, it's vanity, it's smoke, it's vapor, it's meaningless. He repeats it. Vanity, uh -huh. vanity, doesn't uh -huh. matter when. All is vanity. Mm -hmm. All means it's all the same. Right. So the question, the key question is, is what are you going to do with the time that God has given you? Are you going to treat it as vanity? Or are you going to have knowledge from it? Are you going to learn from it mm -hmm. that it goes beyond being the same? that it actually will leap into eternity. Right. And I I guess I kind of read it that way anyways. Um, although he is literally saying that time is vanity, smoke, vapor, meaningless, however you translate that Hebrew word. Um, although he is saying that literally multiple times throughout the text, the underlying message and kind of reading between the lines and knowing the story. And this is one of my favorite books. I've, I've read it it's and studied it. It's time without God mm -hmm. is meaningless. Time without knowing God, time without loving him, without following his commands, that is what's meaningless. Inside of that, being inside of that relationship with God, fearing him and keeping his commandments... That is never meaningless. So there is, I think there is a little bit of, like you said, satire there, a little tongue-in-cheek that, yes, time is meaningless, but it's really time without God that's meaningless. If you look at the author, mm -hmm. Solomon, the third king of Israel, the wisest man that ever lived. Yes. One of the richest men that ever lived. Yep. 
in the wisest man, in the richest man, throughout his life, looking back, reflecting, he's saying, it's all vanity except. 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 Yep. God is not vanity. No, not and in you know, any way. You know shape. what I like yep. about Solomon? What's that? He actually gives us hope. Mm-hmm. Because he gives hope for any person who has fallen short of the glory of God. No matter what their statute, no matter what their wealth, mm-hmm. no matter what their wisdom. Because Solomon comes to the end of his life and he reflects upon his childhood. Yep. He reflects upon what his father and his mother have taught him. And even mm-hmm. though he has gone astray in far greater ways than most people ever would, because he, he was afforded the luxury to do that. Yep. At the end of his life, he is feeble, mm-hmm. weak, blind, deaf, toothless, strengthless. Mm-hmm. And he remembers God is. The question is, is God yours? Or is God still an abstract, a philosophy, mm-hmm. a religion you think about? Or have you become a child of God? Have you been adopted into his kingdom? Do you believe in him? Mm-hmm. And will he say at the end, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a great question. And uh, quite frankly, I think it's a great way to end, a, to end us here. It is. So, Where will you make your home? In the heavens above mm-hmm. or the hell beneath? That is, that is ultimately our choice. It is a choice. That is our choice. And vanity, vanity, is it really vanity? Uh, it can be. It, it can be. But you can change it. Right. You certainly can. We don't need to be our own idols, our own gods. Worship the one true one. Set ourselves aside. There's a word. Yes. The word is surrender. Mm-hmm. All. Everything. Come home. Mm-hmm. All right. Steve, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for this narrative and uh, the conversation. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you. Same to you, Dustin. <laughs>